0: This is that offspin original you've all been waiting for. It's time for Let's Get Rich with Pattu. Hello and welcome back to Let's Get Rich with Pattu. Pattu, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you you wanted to share a little bit about what you're hearing from your community. Um, What are you hearing about this podcast? And are you also getting a sense like we are at Offspin that it's slowly finding its feet now that we're on YouTube as well and etc.
1: Yes. uh, Yeah, it's finally the show is getting a lot of traction and audio as well as video formats. So many people have thanked um, me for uh, putting it on YouTube. Of course, the credit goes to the team and I've (laughs) made sure they know that. So, a uh, lot of new people, people who do not know anything about me or Freefinkel uh, have also tuned in to the show and I think that's a, a win for everybody. So, yeah, it's a it's a, uh, it's a great feeling that uh, we're doing something on the right track. All,
0: although we bank very heavily on your audience that you've built so amazingly over the last few years, Two, thank you for your audience as well. And thank you to all you listeners who love Two and who follow Patu. And I... Individually, do acknowledge all your feedback. I know we are getting some very pointed feedback about how I interrupt Patu a lot. And you're listening for Patu and we should let his train of thought continue. I take this uh, feedback very positively and I'm constantly questioning myself. I'm asking my team to point it out as well. Working on it and some positive feedback as well. We thank you all for that. And also the second point, I just, maybe we've not spelt it out. But what we do is we release the podcast in audio on all platforms on a Sunday And then we release the video version on YouTube and on Spotify on the Thursday that follows that week, right? We just want to see how audio versus video is doing. If you're super super eager to find out what uh, this week's episode is about and you want to hear the content first, you'll have to do it in audio. And if you have the patience and would like to see Patu and me on video, then you have to wait till the Thursday of this particular week. So here's how this episode is a little different. And it was entirely Patu's idea, as usual, fantastic idea. We're getting so much of feedback and questions from all your listeners and, and watchers on YouTube. I have to add that word to listeners as well. We said, why not club it into a Q&A? We're, what, 17, 18 episodes into this entire experiment and journey. Let's start answering users' questions together and dedicate an episode to that. So that's exactly what it is all about. Patu, thank you for the suggestion. Um, Viewers and listeners, thank you so much for your questions. Um, and I'll dive straight into it. So I'll structure it. I'll categorize it in a two or three things. There are lots of questions on medical insurance. So perhaps we will start on that, part too. Um, I'm going to first start with, and full disclaimer, please excuse me for my pronunciation of your names. Uh, there is no ill intent there. I just struggle sometimes with some Indian names. The first one is from Namasivayam. Uh, I have a question regarding medical insurance, part one episode. Is there any benefit in buying an insurance directly from a good company year after year, rather than getting one with the corporate where we work? I specifically want to know about the carry forward benefits for non-used claims in a year slash less hike in premium due to loyalty, etc. Maybe benefits of direct buying versus heavily bargained premium rates and a team that helps you to process the claims for corporate Provided one want to have a comparative study and which one is the best, but two over to you.
1: I think the answer is quite simple. Unless you have a rock solid tenure, uh, secure job uh, where you know when you're going to retire and the uh, those retirement health uh, benefits are also you know health insurance benefits uh, are also part of your you know package, then and only then uh, does a corporate group insurance policy make sense. So typically for government jobs, for those in the PSUs, uh, only for them, a corporate cover alone makes sense. Assuming it is a comprehensive one. There are many corporate covers which are not. So we are there to be careful there. For all others, for freelancers, for people who are working in a corporate environment, they can be sent home any day. Hmm. So uh, a corporate cover will immediately cease and they'll be uh, left alone with no cover. Uh, to fend for themselves at that point if they want to buy a a health insurance policy they may have got some lifestyle disease the premium would be higher Uh, there could be some pre-existing conditions the health insurers would say you're not insurable anymore so the the best solution is to have both get yourself uh, a corporate cover opt for it of course it's not optional in many cases you are but many people don't know the terms and conditions of a corporate policy That is something I see in in my meetings. They just don't know. Unless they have a need to use it, they don't understand what it is. So my suggestion is go to your HR, get a booklet that says that these are the terms and conditions for the health insurance. They will also have for life insurance. Find out what you're eligible for. What are your rights for a corporate cover? And that would be a first layer of protection uh, because uh, it's easier to claim. Because the health insurance company wouldn't want to antagonize the HR of any uh, company. Because even though you are not eligible for a claim for some reason, they will push the claim forward because they will lose the entire business. Because if many employees go and complain to the HR saying, this group insurer should be changed next year because group insurance is a yearly contract. They should be changed, then the HR would change it and they would lose that business. So it's easier for them to, you know, Pay that pittance of a few lakhs for you and uh, look in terms of the crores for the uh, group package. So that will be a first layer of uh, security. A private policy which you purchase for your family, uh, it can be, of course, it's expensive these days, but you can buy a a small cover when you're young, you buy a small cover and then as your uh, salary increases over time, you can gradually increase it. That's what I did and uh, i've now been able to have a substantial private cover for myself but so so you should have both uh, in case you lose your job and uh, you're not going to be able to you know uh, fend for yourself without health insurance now as regards uh, no no claim benefits etc my suggestion is please don't worry about it because uh, those are just uh, tidbits uh, of just for window shopping they're given to you just the decorative things. They're not the core uh, properties of the policy. If you shouldn't be misguided by them, they just say, uh, you know, uh, they rolling out the red carpet for you to come. Uh, look at that, and you know, those are the freebies that people want you to focus on. They are all unimportant. And uh, tip, I mean, the kind of features that the uh, com, uh, cover has will vary from one insurer to the other. Some will have a no claim bonus. That is uh, they will, uh, give you a discount sometimes if you have a no, uh, if you did not have claim the last year, some of them will add, uh, the, bo- uh, the bonus, they'll add a small extra amount to the sum insured. If you did not have a, a claim in the previous year and so on, there are different types of these, uh, you know, freebies or, uh, offering just to have continuity. They, they want you to keep paying premiums. That's all. That's an incentive for the insurer, not for us all those incentives will vanish the moment we have a claim. Hmm. So, you, you for 10 years, you never had a claim. So, you had all these bonuses. The 11th year, you made a claim. When you pay the premium for the 12th year, it's a complete reset. Everything will vanish. So, it is not something that you should really bank upon. Those That's not important. And uh, as regards claim processing, one of the most important ways in which to sell insurance is to say... Look, you buy the policy through me and I'll help you make the claims. Uh, I mean, uh, to some extent, that's true. There are some advisors who help, but it is our responsibility as a buyer to understand how to make a claim, when to approach the insurer. So there are two kinds of hospitalizations, emergency hospitalizations, unplanned hospitalizations and planned uh, you know, surgical procedures, typically. And so for each of them, the claim process is slightly different. You have to intimate the insurer how you're going to do it and so on. And even if you don't have anybody uh, as an advisor to help you with, all you need is the medical insurance health card, that they, the, car, the kind of ID card that they give you. You go to a, a network hospital, show the card, and it's a very simple process. And, and as long as you've been upfront in uh, declaring all your health conditions truly at the time of buying, There's really nothing to worry about. I mean, you you have to fill a couple of forms. and and It's just paperwork. Paperwork never killed anybody. There's a lot of complaining about paperwork, but it never killed anybody. So I I think you shouldn't worry too much about somebody helping you for claim processing and so on. It's not rocket science at all.
0: Great. Two or three questions that keep popping up in my mind as you said that. Right at the start, you mentioned if you have a very secure tenure job, do you want to name some industries where you think... This could apply because I guess in this day and age, there's just so much of insecurity about jobs, et cetera, et cetera, which basically is pushing you towards what Patu said to make sure you have your own insurance apart from your group cover. But any particular industries or situations, perhaps such as yourself, where you're in in an IIT as a professor, right? What are some other places where you think, yes, this is a secure job and can last you for most of your career. See,
1: all civil servants, hmm. uh, anybody who works for the government in any capacity, in whatever area, they have some kind of security, right? Even if they're asked to quit the job, they will still, as a um, ex-employee, they will still have benefits. Even yeah. if uh, people who retire, they still have, uh, there are unions, associations, where they can be part of something called a central government health scheme and so on. So there are uh, many uh, you know, benefits for them. But for So, if those in a corporate setup where your next month salary depends on the profitability of somebody else of the company, anything can happen. I mean, uh, and there are I know situations where uh, there was a two week gap between one employment and the other, and in between there was a hospitalization, and uh, the new employer said, "You are not technically part of our uh, team. You are not formally an employee, so we can't pay you. We can't add you to the group cover." So, you never know. So, it's better to start small. I mean, everybody is worried about health insurance because two things. One, it's expensive. It's becoming expensive uh, every day. And the two is the selection process. Who do I go with? We talked about uh, broad guidelines for selection in our uh, episodes. So, that's why I said small, start small and then build it up over time. So, you build a relationship with that company over time and things become easier as your salary increases.
0: I don't know if this is a question worth asking, but from the perspective of the insurance company, do they earn more money in these group policies with large companies? Absolutely. Definitely much more than us as private individuals. Uh, Absolutely. Individual. Yeah, it,
1: yeah it's, that's pittance. Retail is pretense.
0: And does the, even if you have a, a private insurance, medical insurance cover, does, say if you claim it three years in a row, does that affect your policy in any way or that's the company's headache and not your headache?
1: See, um, earlier it used to a few years ago if you have uh, if you have claimed the next year your premium will increase uh, but then irda said that you shouldn't do that claim based uh loading of the premium should not be there but then i mean uh, corporates always find a way so what they do is they will hike the premium up front taking into account that this guy will claim every you know 5 years or 6 years or so or there are situations where they will uh, they will say upfront that look this is the initial uh, claim uh, premium uh, sorry premium and then that premium will hike be hiked every year so they found a way to you know find uh, but in principle just because you have a, a bad claim history that uh, that should not be the reason for a uh, premium hike however the insurer can say you have 10 lakhs and you say i want to hike it to 15 lakhs the insurer will say sorry uh, you are bad for us. We, are, we You just can't hike the uh, sum insured. The sum insured for you will stay at 10 lakhs. That they can do.
0: Sure. I hope that answered your question. Namasivayam. Uh, please keep messaging and keep emailing us if that did not answer your question and we'll keep asking these questions to Patu. Um, Siddharth Kotkar wants to ask what insurance cover you have, Patu? Which company and which particular policy?
1: So, I... Um, I got my insurance from United India uh, in 2006. That is the time when my father got hospitalized without any insurance. that's when I realized the money draining away from me. So I ran and got health insurance for myself, my mother and my wife. the same we have the same cover uh, of course is it that... one cover like a family plan? So it is um, it is a mix of both. It is a family cover, but it is individual covers. It's not a floater policy. So, each of us have, a, at that time, I think it was a couple of lakhs. So, we have I've gradually enhanced that sum and uh, today we have a, a individual cover for 25 lakhs each. Oh, wow. Uh, on top of that, uh, I also purchased a super top-up insurance and that has got a threshold of, uh, sorry, a deductible of 5 lakhs, I think, if I remember right. And uh, initially, it was 15 lakhs. The sum insured was 15 lakhs with a 5 lakh deductible. And then United India enhanced its um, term, some insured limits. Uh, Then it introduced a 99 lakh cover. So I have enhanced it to 99 lakh. So this super top up is uh, a separate cover for my mother and a floater cover for my uh, family that is, uh, me, wife, and son. So that's it. On top of it, a couple of years ago, I also bought inexpensive covers. From future generally and uh, liberty insurance for my wife and son. I I could not be insured. These privates will not take me on. Because I have an autoimmune condition. They will uh, say no to that. So, this is an inexpensive cover. I don't remember the uh, the limits. But I just bought. I mean, because United India. Remember, we talked about room rent sublimits. Yes. United India had that for several years. And because of that, I didn't want them to suffer. So, I thought I'll get a private cover for them. I got that through a friend. Uh, who distributes insurance, and I I know his uh, him for his competence. I've talked about all this in the in the blogs, Main and, episode, uh, yeah. in the uh, yeah uh, yeah in the also in my articles. So after that, thankfully, United India lifted that uh, room rent sub limits for their family cover. So they now they say they will pay all charges for a single AC room. Right. So that's okay. And so of that's course. Great. This costs a ton. All these costs quite a Will bit of money. Would you be money.
0: comfortable sharing how much so that the listeners have benchmarks? A lack and above. Or should we not? A lack wow. and above. But, this but is for the entire family. Everybody. Everybody. So, But
1: that's a lot. But, but it's reasonable. But it's a 25 lakh cover, right? And also, the main cost is half of that cost is because of my mother. My mother is yes. now 76. And uh, 76, giving her... Uh, uh, 6 lakh. She only has a 6 lakh base cover. Even for that 6 lakh at 76 years, costs a ton of money. Almost half of it goes there.
0: But I got a little confused at the start of your answer, Patu, about a family floater versus a family with individual cover. I didn't even know this yeah. second category exists. He, Can you tell us a little so bit more he, about that? Because uh, I only he, have a floater.
1: Yeah. So, in an individual thing, I am the proposer of for the family. So, the insurer uh, insurance will be in my name. But... Under me, there are people, which includes, of um, course, me, my wife and my son. Each of them have their own individual limit, insurance limit. So, it's not it's not a floater. It's not shared. Right? It's not shared among the family. They're individual. But still, I will be the proposer for that family. I think, I mean, I don't know if there's a name to... Uh, I don't know. what I mean, United India has called it Medicare, if I'm not wrong. But I don't know what the others, other people call it.
0: Is there an an advantage over a floater cover? Because I personally have a floater. Um, So, I've talked about this. with. uh,
1: I used to think it was an advantage. But I mean, I talked about it with somebody more knowledgeable than me. And and they said, look, if you can afford a 25 lakh, 30 30 lakh floater for your family, I think you're okay.
0: That's exactly the amount I have a 25 lakh cover for the family as a floater. I, I think that's fine. And then there are options for uh, top ups, etc., cetera, etc. But I got a little worried because Rajesh from our team has a 25 lakh cover just for himself. So, am I under-insured for my family? Is my no, key question? No,
1: I, I, I think see, insurance is a game of probability, hmm. and I think uh, touch what we haven't claimed it even once. Uh, it's a game of probability. I think you should take. A, you can take a chance, saying look, uh, or 25 lakhs, maybe a couple of claims for the family in
0: a year, we can manage. Yeah. so
1: i think it's okay it's, it's a reasonable
0: uh, chance to take fair enough all right thank you for that part two i'm going to try and find our next insurance question um it's from ranga rao thotakura 4059 after having a policy for two years if we declare a condition for the third year will the waiting period exist for that mentioned condition from that point on fantastic question Yeah, uh, it's a, and i have i understand uh knowledge i mean experience
1: with this sorry uh so the waiting so let's say you have a cover for 5 lakhs and sure. you had it for uh 4 years and then uh you made a claim um and so on etc doesn't matter uh and the 6th year or uh, you enhance it to 10 lakhs so If this policy had a waiting period of, let's say, two years for any pre-existing condition, the additional 5 lakh that you have purchased, that will have that waiting period of two two years. It's like a fresh policy from day one. For the additional sum. insured. Yes. The the initially purchased 5 lakhs will continue because that waiting period is over for that. So, uh, So, if you have made a claim, uh, for some condition and you still have that condition in the first 5 years. So, that condition will be excluded for the first 2 years. So, for, for any hospitalization due to that condition, your effective cover will still be 5 lakhs for 2 years and after that, it will become 10 lakhs.
0: Does Fascinating. That
1: make, does that make it, sense?
0: Yeah, perfect answer and that gives me so much of insight. But to push you a little bit, part two: there are two ways an insurance company can know about your condition. If you claim for some treatment or if you voluntarily announce that you have this condition. Um so you're saying even if this person has had this insurance cover, he's finished with his waiting period for pre-existing conditions because he's in his third year. Now he's announced something in his third year. Um what happens to is, is only that condition excluded from that point on for another two years? Or see, um technically, uh
1: insurers have become smart these days. So when you renew, they will ask, have you got anything new? Whether you are going to renew for the same cover or an enhanced cover, they are going to ask. When they ask, you are obligated to tell the truth. Absolutely. Yeah. So, there is no other way around it. However, they cannot do anything. They cannot change the terms of your policy if you are not going to increase it, uh, uh, You know your cover. Just because, let's, let's say I have become diabetic. Uh, and I'm going to uh, uh, you know, renew my uh, policy. They, I, uh, if they ask me, have you got anything new? I'll say I'm, I've become diabetic. But they have to offer the cover uh, for the f- same 5 lakhs. However, if I say I have had this 5 lakh, make it 10 lakhs. They will either lower the premium because you now have the condition. Or they will say, uh, sorry, we can't insure you. Or worse, they can say. Uh, we will cover you for 10 lakhs for any hospitalization, excluding diabetes. Which is which puts you in trouble because uh, that will also affect the initial phylax. So, you have to be
0: careful. It's crazy. And then they can also claim any kind of hospitalization. It was because of that diabetes, right? Because diabetes causes so many...
1: See, this is where most of the court cases or the ombudsman case files. If you look at it, they were all because of this. They will say pre-existing, pre-existing, and uh, I mean, I've had ex- uh, examples uh, from my friend uh, Deepak Menderata, who I got uh, the insurance from. He runs a uh, website called Plan Cover. Of course, mo- his main business is not that, but he still does it, does the re- retail insurance. So he he tells me that let's say uh, you go to a, a doctor for you know uh, due to a hospitalisation and you say, uh, doctor, it's uh, I've I have had a bad knee for the last. Three, four years. And the doctor writes it in the discharge summary. He will write, right? He's obligated to write everything. The insurer will say, You got the policy from us one year ago. You did not disclose that you had a bad knee. Wow. Even if the hospitalization has nothing to do with a bad knee, your claim can be denied
0: because you have not been truthful. That doesn't even begin to sound fair, part two. How does one fight this?
1: It is, see, if you know you have something wrong with you, even if you are not taking medication for it, it's better to disclose. That is the only, honesty is the only way out. You disclose anything. You say, I have colds. I I got a cold last month. I mean, it's irrelevant to the risk uh, profiling. But still you say it. It's not going to hurt you. That is where we have to be careful with all these agents. What they'll do is to meet their targets. They will say, uh, it's okay, ga, don't bother. Don't, don't nil nil
0: on. nil. no pre condition. And
1: they will say, put the dot and play, sign here. That's it. They would have, that is why we have to do the paperwork. And that's why I say, it's okay to buy through distributors. But you tell them, I want this policy with these conditions. Do up the paperwork. I will fill and sign. You don't go and tell them, please tell me what policy should I buy. That is the dumbest thing. It's like, you know, asking a barber. If you want a haircut, like uh, Warren Buffett said, so that's where we have to be careful. Our awareness is important.
0: Doesn't it feel like this entire episode is on medical insurance? What to? <laughs> <laughs> and I take uh, blame for that. I've kept pushing you. One no, final so question bad. on medical insurance. This is from Shubham Vinayak. Uh, Shubham, you've asked many questions, as many as nine questions. The team has noted it down, but I'm going to pick on one particular question. Is there group medical insurance outside of private companies, like group insurance for the whole society or some similar-minded people coming together for group medical insurance? will would be very helpful if Pattu sir can answer these questions. And before I open it up to you, Patu, it's a fantastic question. What if I wanted to get a group insurance cover for my football team or for my housing society? How does this work? So, uh, first of
1: all, I... Uh the, all the other questions asked by Shubham, they are good and I, I will, I'm planning to write an article on this as an FAQ, so they will get answered in the article form uh, at some point in time I'll publish it. Uh, so this thing, so the rules are very clear about this. They say that you cannot come together and form an association, a society, or etc, etc, only for the, uh, you know, for getting a term, uh, group cover, sorry, any any group insurance. Uh, if that is your motive, then it's illegal. They will not come. Right? If you had already existed as a society and you say, I've been there for five years, I've done that. Yes, it's possible to get a group cover. However, it is very dangerous. Those covers are very dangerous because in those kinds of associations, societies and so on, uh, everybody is more or less an equal member. And uh, there will be there will be a- infighting of some kind. There will be some kinds of tensions brewing they will suddenly say, uh, they they will change the group insurance uh, policy every year. Because it's very important to understand, uh, group insurance is only for one year. Right. It is, uh, the next year, it's an entirely new cover. So, you're buying, a. the management is buying a new policy for you every year. Hmm. Uh, Whereas in an individual policy, there is a history and that history continues uh, your history of waiting periods your pre existing conditions that will all be taken into account the uh, no claim benefits etc etc they will they will continue there's a there's a uh, you know um, yeah so it continues so that's not possible in a in a group insurance policy and your if your management changes they can buy it from somebody else with a very different set of conditions and group insurance covers are becoming more and more expensive these days because they know that the buyers are misusing it. They, got, they get it, they can get all kinds of uh, you know illnesses, maybe they're not even uh, deserving claims. But uh, so they made it more uh, difficult to get. Earlier they used to say, uh, pre-existing conditions doesn't matter. There's no waiting period for pre-existing conditions. And that they got that at a nominal price. But because lot of sick people joined the group and they started claiming, they now have hiked the premiums. So, it is no longer inexpensive. And group insurance matters only, I mean, makes sense only when you have thousands of people in your group. Right. Interesting. That's when the price will come down to something very, very, if you just have 20 people, 30 people, 40 people, it's, it's, and they probably, the company won't even take you on. Interesting. They they will say, uh, I will send you a guy we will have a camp in your society, and uh, you, we will sign up, sign you up for uh, you know individual covers after a presentation, and they will give you some coffee, whatever, and mug, whatever, and that's how it's done. So it's, I think it's it's very dangerous to go for that, and also bank uh, policies. There are many uh, tie-ups between insurers and banks. Of course, many of those tie-ups have dissolved; only very few exist. But again, so what happens is. Anybody who has an account is eligible for health cover, but the problem is you get all sorts of sick people in the insured pool. If there are a lot of sick people, the insurers are going to um, punish the uh, healthy ones as well. Yeah, we talked about that in the. So I think it's it's a. I think even if you're eligible for such group policies outside of your um, employment, you should avoid. them.
0: I think that answers my football team question also. I think we're a small group. <laughs> it's only 25 to 30 of us that are allowed to register themselves in the team. And secondly, uh, because we play football, there's a high chance of injury. So they probably say either no or be super expensive. So I, I guess I have my answer. All right. Medical insurance questions done for this particular week. Let's move on to but to Perhaps we can go to real estate because that also seems like a very hot topic on Let's Get Rich with two. From Ritesh Kumar, hi sir. I have invested 40 to 50% of the house price. Is it a good idea to take out that amount and pay it as a down payment? Or take the max loan amount possible, keeping the investment intact, paying more of EMIs, and hence lesser investments thereafter till the loan is repaid. In brackets, assuming already saved investments give 10 to 12% returns versus the house loan at 8.5%. Phenomenal answer. A question. Potto over to you.
1: So, I would uh, there are many people out there who compare the housing loan returns with portfolio returns, etc. I think you shouldn't do that. Um, I think the ideal uh, mix for your salary. So, we talked about retirement and we said uh, if X are your expenses, the ideal investment for, for retirement is 75 to 100% of X. But unfortunately, that assumes there are no home loans. Right. There are no EMIs. And no kids. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) It should still be the case, even if you have kids. But yeah, it's tough for many people to get there. But definitely, it's almost impossible for those with kids and EMIs. Hmm. So, uh, the ideal mix for those who who are bent on getting themselves a house is, I would say, is out of your take-home pay. That is after the tax, after the mandatory EPF, NPS kind of retirement deductions, whatever you're taking home, out of that 30% expenses, 30% EMI, maybe 40% and 30% or 20% investments with about 10% buffer for emergencies. This is the ideal mix that you can somehow manage. If your EMI crosses 40% of your take-home, you are in trouble. Hmm. It will really start uh, making things very difficult for you. Life will be very difficult. Any extra expenditure, your kids want something extra, you have to send send them to some extra class, you have an emergency or an unexpected recurring expense, you are in soup.
0: Your current day experience becomes very tough.
1: Yes. So, that's not... Uh, worth it. So I think there should be a balance between uh, or among investments, expenses, EMI. So automatically there should therefore be a balance between the down payment and the EMI as well. So you should have the down payment, enough down payment accumulated, so that your EMI ideally does not cross thirty percent, or at best forty percent, not more than that. 35 is some kind of uh, you know median uh, agreement but so there should be that balance so once so you should accumulate for that down payment until you are able to achieve this balance right and o- obviously the other thing is people should do a retirement um, planning calculation I, we talked about this in the true cost of uh, buying a house that the moment you do a retirement planning calculation many people are going to think twice at least some will think twice about uh, you know, buying a house, but you should balance it. If you say, no, buying is very important for me, you should somehow still manage your long-term goals, retirement, children's future, etc. with your EMIs. As long as you hit that balance, I think it's fine. Re- uh, return comparisons don't matter.
0: I think that's a great thumb rule, a great benchmark. But I guess the only unknown part of uh, Ritesh's question is, is this 40% or 50% that he's invested is it a separate fund for the house, or is it the overall fund? Right. What, the- <laughs> <That's a laughs> what if problem. it is either or? How does that change?
1: I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> it is a big problem. If you are saying that's your net worth, then it's tr- you're in trouble. Yeah.
0: Has he mentioned his age, I can check his. Uh, Ritesh Kumar. No, he hasn't. So. No, he hasn't. So if he's young,
1: he probably can get away with it. If he's on the leave, he's less than, maybe 35, but he's older and uh, I think he's in trouble. I think you should not do that. You should not, you should, uh, uh, but the pro- I think you should probably delay even buying the house. That is the better uh, solution. Many, most people won't agree with me, but yeah.
0: But I think the great benchmark was if it is around 30, max 40% of your take home pay and you, you know, you can back calculate and decide how much of a down payment.
1: Ideally, banks cannot should not offer you a loan if it's more than forty percent. Ideally, but uh, oh. b- bankers are known to make all sorts of things. But if Wait, they is say, this a
0: government mandated rule? No, 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 no.
1: I I mean uh, it's the health uh, of the bank, right? They can't. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah. So, uh, but uh, so they will say there. Uh, there's a couple, We have a couple. We are a couple. She's working. I'm working. Yeah. We'll have a joint home loan and so on. Then things become a little bit. But whatever it is, when I say take home, it is a take home of the family, all the breadwinners. So it shouldn't exceed
0: 40%. Great. Going on to a very completely different topic and I love this question. It's from Pankaj Poddar. Thank you so much for it, Pankaj. Uh, Most people will do mistakes or will not know their average monthly expenses. That can only be calculated accurately after noting it down for three to four years on a monthly basis under specific expenditure heads such as main, cooking gas, vegetables, medicals, etc. He's given a few... Headers and filtering it carefully and taking average of it after at least three or four years. As certain expenses have long cycles, such as changing battery of your inverter, changing appliance like fridge, etc. It's, it's a great question, Part Two. I don't think we've ever deep dived into how to track expenses, and it's not something I do very diligently or very accurately. I think I know because I know, right? But. That's never good enough. And everything is based on these monthly expenses. How you invest for your future, etc, etc. So, what do you recommend?
1: I would see, there are many people who love tracking. There are many people who are are on these uh, apps. You know, tracking apps on their phones and so on. They love tracking. If you love tracking, please do it. Obviously, it is data and data is never going to hurt. It's going to give you insights. Uh, But if you are one of those guys who know, I I don't care about the nitty-gritty. Then I would say, look at the balance. What do you mean by that, Pato? Look at the uh, look at the balance before you got the salary, or before you got your. It's harder for freelancers because they're going to get trickles of payments and so on. It's it's very hard for freelancers, but at least for the salaried people, there's some chunk that hits your bank account within the fifth of... Regularly, yeah. Regularly, so you know, find out the balance that was there before. Before it hit and find out the cash in hand, that gives you an idea of what you did. And if you had, uh, obviously you you would easy to find out the savings, the saving or investing is very easy to figure out. So you can just, uh, you know, add that to the balance and then you know, that's your expense. That's your total expense. Mm. So it's easy to find the total expense every month instead of writing down everything, how much on petrol, how much on groceries and so on. Yeah, it can be done. And if you are passionate about it, and I know many people who are, and I have got many insights from them. I know a guy who has been doing this for decades and he sent me uh, the data. It tells you how inflation, you know, grows. Oh, fascinating. If you're you're one for tracking, go ahead and track. If you're not one for tracking, the simplest is look at the balance before your salary hits, find out how much you saved, add it to the balance, then salary minus that amount is what you spent. And that you can keep track. You don't even need to track it every month. Find out what it is every quarter or every six months. Do that exercise every six months. That is enough. It gives you some some number. My point is, when you enter that number in your retirement planning calculation, it should not be an underestimate.
0: Exactly. That's what worries me in the most part too. I have a rough number, but I'm worried that that rough number is going to really bite me going forward. right? Because I'm not... Maybe I've underestimated, or uh, if I've overestimated, amazing. But the point is, if I've underestimated, does even small values then cumulatively oh, build up? Okay,
1: because you because see the the most important aspect of retirement planning or any financial goal planning is you should do it once a year. You should redo mm. the entire thing with fresh inputs because today your expenses are these. Next year. Because of good or bad things you may have you may become a, a father of two and then your expenses are going to be higher. So you have to you have to review the inputs every year. And that's always going to take care of all these you know,
0: changes that happen. There you go Pankaj. I hope that's been answered properly. Moving on to a question that we've made anonymous on the request of this person who sent this in and uh, really made us sit back and think I'm going to read it out. Just started to follow Patusa recently and started hearing the new podcast on your channel. It's amazing. New things to understand in finance. Thanks for doing it. Thank you, uh, whoever's written this in. I wanted to ask how to manage finances and had some queries. I'm 29 years old and the only breadwinner with home loan and I'm also single eyed. I lost my right eye vision recently, three months back. Also a cancer survivor. Happened in 2019. No major corpus I have made not eligible for term insurance and this broke my heart and patu will probably delve on this a little bit any inputs for financial planning or you plan to discuss on podcast would be great
1: so, yeah so that's that's really tough uh, so kudos to the person for you know uh, being a positive about things i think uh, i think he would probably not be eligible for health insurance as well or at least not eligible for future hikes if he has one before the uh, cancer episode he probably has something but it's better to assume effectively because of inflation and so on there is no insurance of any kind so what do you do well the one good thing is age is on his side 29 is still not too late to start investing I think the the basic rules are still the same nothing has changed try to invest 75 to 100 percent of X your monthly expenses for retirement And if that's less, well, invest what you can. That's the uh, general, everything boils down to that. Invest what you can, but invest it in a portfolio of 50% stocks and 50% fixed income. But before you do that, if you have some net worth to speak of now, you treat that net worth as your emergency fund. Nice. Whatever you have accumulated so far. It can be little. But let it be little. That's fine. But that's going to be your emergency fund. From the next month. Whatever you are going to invest. You invest it in. Try to align it in this kind of portfolio. That will be your future wealth. Of course you need a lot of luck. Uh, you know. To make sure you don't get too big. Hospitalization, hospitalized again. Etc. etc. But that is okay. That's that. Those kind of risks are there for everybody. Maybe it's a little higher for you. But you can't do much about it. I mean. This is the. The. Uh, Only thing. You have some base as an emergency and then you start investing and building well.
0: I hope that gives you a little bit of uh, direction and hope from Patu. But Patu, I must push you a little bit. It just breaks my heart to hear he's not eligible even for term insurance. And what is the logic behind that? He's willing to pay a premium. He's just lost an eye. It does not mean life is at risk.
1: Uh, it depends. I mean, p- p- uh, the insurer will argue that because he has only one eye, uh, maybe things are difficult for him. Uh, you know, there can be situations where he can get himself into trouble walking on the road or things like that. And also, the cancer issue makes it even worse. Uh, right. Assuming they are independent of each other, uh, then that makes it worse. So they will say there's a high risk of uh, immediate mortality, and uh, th- so an insurer it's, it's high risk for an insurer, so they won't do it. In health, both health and I would say I, would, I will not be surprised if he does not have any health insurance or uh, as I said they won't give him higher, higher uh, some insurance
0: but hang in there I guess that would be uh, our our motto keep listening to us keep writing in and if you have any particular minor questions as well but would be thrilled to answer them and our last question for this episode uh, and thank you for being with us until this moment I have to get used to saying this. Please like, share, and subscribe to our page on YouTube. Please share the word and get other people to listen to this podcast. It's a community we're trying to build of absolutely no-nonsense financial independence advice. Coming from coming from Two. you can't get better than that. Our last question for today, Two: Do you have any advice for a 45-plus guy who has just started investing in 2021? And he's just started watching us on YouTube. I think he represents a very large audience, Pattu, um, who, for whatever reason, have been busy with their lives and have not thought about investing. How do you start at this late day and age? And I'm sure it will help a number of listeners listening. So I
1: think you just take one step at a time. And you don't worry about uh, what the time elapsed. Because regret is a big, uh, it's, it's such a wasteful emotion. Doesn't get anything done, particularly in money management. People are always regretting. Uh, one guy said, "I'm 25 and I regret not starting early," and people pounced on him. Said, "What are you doing? he's <laughs> just 25." So I mean, there's always. I mean, we all have regrets, but we still, you know, soldier on. So I would say, look, what's gone, or what time, or what's happened has happened, and you are going to start. But you do not have the time to learn things and you don't have the time to live and learn. You must get started in the right direction from day one so that whatever uh, remaining time is there between now and your intended retirement, maybe you may have to extend it, it depends. But I would suggest go talk to a fee-only SEBI registered investment advisors. So uh, I have a list of those curated advisors, that uh, list is more than 10 years old. Uh, on my website freefincal.com or you can search for feeonlyindia.com that's a list of uh, advisors. I am a patron uh, founder member of that uh, group. So these are people who will advise you without any kind of commissions. They get money from only you and they work only for you. So there's no conflict of interest involved. So uh, even if it's a little expensive so they can be 15,000, 20,000 25,000. I would say think of it as an investment for peace of mind in the future years and uh, they will help you understand where you are today and what you need to be do uh, to uh, to, uh, to achieve your goals partially or maybe fully they, they if you cannot achieve your goals fully they will tell you how to adjust the inputs maybe you have to expect less income after retirement maybe you have to uh, extend your retirement by a couple of years etc But those kind of uh, discussions have to be done by a professional because it's not a um, simple thing to do over this kind of medium. So please get professional advice from the sources that I just mentioned because there are a lot of other sources out there uh, with a lot of conflict of interest and they may even charge you a percentage of your uh, assets that you have and so on. So uh, once you get this guidance, you will feel so much more confident that you can uh, do something for with the remainder of the time that uh, you are you can you're going to be employed.
0: Fantastic advice, but to uh, this fee of 15, 20, 30000 that they charge you, is that a yearly charge? Does it go down at any point? How does this work for fee-only advisors? Is there any light you can throw on that?
1: So yeah, so the the range is quite huge. Uh, so some of them charge a lot more. So you, but I mean you can always pick and choose who you would like to work with, and typically. So, let's say it's 20,000 for the first year of engagement. So, in that engagement, you have they will ask you, they will give you an input uh, data sheet. You have to give all your things, your in investments, what your goals are, etc. And they will come up with a financial plan and they will tell you what to do, how to implement the plan. They will not implement the plan for you. You will have to do it, but they will tell you. They will give you some advice on how to do it, where to do it, etc. And uh, some of them review after six months but typically the review period is one year and that's more than enough so after the uh, so that 20 20k is for one year after that the fee typically drops to half nice see so it typically drops to half and then it's that's a continued engagement and there are many people who have said uh, thank you for educating me i don't need you anymore i'm going to do i uh, do a diy on my own They are very happy with that engagement, uh, that arrangement, and that's absolutely because they've done
0: their job brilliantly. Yes, so and maybe you can go five years later and just reassess. You know, so they do that. Options are many. Yeah, great on that positive note. And I'll add a couple of points. Even if you're 45, just invest in your health, invest in your relationships. Maybe find other skills and taps you can turn on so that you know income can continue past your years. And freelancers are very good at doing that. Even if you're in a job. and you see that you're going to retire at 58 and you're 45 right now. I'm sure you can figure it out and just keep listening. Keep asking pointed questions and all the very best. But to thank you so much for your time. I think it's been one of my most enjoyable episodes answering so many different very topics. I hope you can do keep doing more of it if the viewers and listeners keep writing in. Any last thoughts and please extol them to keep doing that.
1: So, yeah, uh, I, it's wonderful to always answer questions. And I'm honored that so many people want to no answers from us. And so please uh, always keep writing, uh, commenting on YouTube or maybe write to us, write to the Offspin uh, email and uh, tell them what is it that you want. You can also think about coming on the show. There are ways to do it. You can reach out to them and they'll help you. So we look forward to hearing more from you.
0: Have a great week. See you next week on Let's Get Rich with Two. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You just heard Let's Get Rich with Two, an Offspin original. Isn't it the coolest show you've heard in the Indian podcasting space? And even if it isn't, what's the point of getting rich alone, right? Share this show with those you care about and perhaps even with those you don't care about. But make sure you share this show with only those who you don't mind being richer than you. The music on this show was created by Patu's biggest fan, Rajesh Ravi. And everyone on the Offspin team had some part or the other to play on the show. Let me name them quickly Arshdi Nisrani, Krishank Das, Sandeep Banerjee, Arif Chagla, Anand Krishnan, Rajesh Ravi, and Heer Khan. Heer, by the way, is also to be blamed for giving put to his gangster look, which is how he looks on a daily basis. Um, and me, Sidhan, your host. Let's Get Rich is available on all audio platforms wherever you consume your podcasts. So spread the word, and we'll see you next week. You know we do this show only to help you guys, right? But if you're listening and you're that one person who has perhaps lost money and are holding it against Patu or me for making you lose that money, then not only are you a mean person, but you also need to listen to this legal disclaimer. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute any financial advice. Views expressed are not official positions of financial institutions or Patu or mine for that matter. Although we strongly believe in them, listen to this disclaimer even more carefully. We recommend consulting a qualified professional before making decisions. We disclaim liability for inaccuracies or losses from using this information in our show. By listening, you agree that the host, guests, and producers are not only awesome people, but they are not responsible for your financial decisions or outcomes.